again. This is the word of Revelation chapter 5. It says, In the heaven, in between the throne and the four living creatures, and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing, as though he had been slain, with seven horns and seven eyes, which were the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. And that new song was, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and by your blood ransomed a people from for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made, a, made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign upon the earth. Father, I thank you for that truth. I thank you that because of what Jesus has already done, we are kingdom people meant to live by kingdom power for kingdom glory. May that be the end of our gathering here today. I pray that it would all be for the glory and the fame of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Would you please have a seat quickly? I'm gonna have, don't get comfortable. I'm going to have you get back up here in just a minute. Um, but I'm going to have my brother Mo come up. Um, this was not, come on up Mo. This was not part of the plan, but, you know, that's all right. Um, some of you, I mean, obviously, um, he already um, spoke and prayed a little bit during prayer time. I asked him, he's going to do the reading of what I'm teaching today. Um, I asked him to do that. I knew when I asked him a week ago that he would want to say something today. So you already said that, which was, I didn't know, we did not plan this. Um, but if you don't know, I mean, I, I realized as, as RJ was sharing and others were sharing, um, that, that many of you are are so new to us, you don't know his story. And like RJ said, I invite you to learn his story. But um, 21 years ago, this man was trapped under the towers. And um, God saved him. Uh, yeah, amen. And, and that's not even the best part of his story. Like, that's the crazy part, guys. Like, like his testimony after that, and, and, and the things he went through and um, continues to battle today, like he is, worth, he is worth buying a cup of coffee for, just to hear that story. But guys... And a donut. And, and a donut. Yeah, he, he's a retired police officer, so a donut is required, apparently. Um, but guys, way more importantly than, than, him, than God saving him 21 years ago is God saved him just a few years ago for all eternity. You know, praise the Lord. He got... He got baptized in our horse trough like four locations ago, and, and when I first met this brother, um, we were sitting, he was actually sitting in a Bible study, so he met Dawkus, I know he's around here somewhere because I saw the shirt, but I don't know where he went, got called out or something, but um, the, he had met Jeff, and Jeff being who Jeff is, Jeff's one of our elders, if you don't know, I know we throw these names out there like everybody knows them, but Jeff is one of our elders, if you don't know, and he met Jeff, and Jeff invited him into the study, and I came just a couple of times, and, and he was just a sponge. Like, I, we, were, we were meeting at, I think it was Paradise Bakery before it became Benera, before it became some heart surgeon place now, which is really odd, and... Um, and you were just a sponge of like wanting to know more. God opened up his eyes to the truth of his word. God opened up his heart and saved him. And guys, as big a miracle as it is to be, how many days were you under the rubble? Four? Two days. Almost, almost two. So three days under the rubble and he is saved from that. And, and all the other things that happened since then. Guys, all of that, as, as amazing as that is, and as worthy of celebration as that is, and focus and the time we spend even as a nation rightly remembering that, what happened to Mo in the moment that he got saved, that he went from death to life, that he was transferred from this kingdom to this kingdom. Guys, that is way more important and way more miraculous in every sense of the word. And why I wanted to start the message with this is because we, guys, we as God's people, we have to preach that. We have to preach that to ourselves. We have to preach that to the world. Guys, salvation is the greatest miracle we will ever see. And my brother is living proof. And now, because he is a child of God, he gets to read God's word over God's people. So would you stand for the reading of the word of God? I think it's on. And I want to thank you for uh, making this font big enough to read for a guy like me. Once again, good morning, family. It's my honor to be, uh, to be of service for you guys. 
Romans 8, 18 through 27. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believe also grown, we believers also grown, even though we have the Holy Spirit with us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We, too, wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we, do, we don't need to hope for it, but we look forward to something we don't yet have. We must wait patiently and confidently. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, my brother Mo. I love you. Hey guys, everybody, open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 1, actually. Chapter 1 is where we're going to start. But I want to ask our first talking points question as we get started this morning um, in this message. Um, in a world gone crazy, do you find it hard to hold on to hope? In a world gone crazy, do you find it hard to hold on to hope? And why might that be? So I'm asking, do you find it hard to hold on to hope? Yes, sometimes. Why? Let's jump to the why. Focus gets off of Jesus. We'll come back there. Paul will pull us back there. Good. What else? Lack of faith, uncertainty. Like this world is full of icebergs. I was thinking about it. Whether those icebergs are as big as planes flying into a building or as small as um, just some some. Like the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, that, that, that thing that you want, that new phone, that new whatever your thing is. And, and like those kinds of things get, us, get our focus off, right? Good. What else? So awesome. So I don't know if you could hear our sister Stephanie, but she was saying like, some, she, was, she was reading it. She's like, I'm kind of reading it the other way, which is to say that like the more crazy the world gets, the almost easier it is for me to see Christ because it's like, okay, I've got, I, I mean, this is all going nuts and I know what's true. And I think that's like, the, and that's part of why, and we've talked about this for several years here at Corner at Cross Train before when it was still called Cornerstone even, was this idea that, you know, we're lamenting the darkness growing. And, and I understand, as people of light, I understand that. But the darker the darkness gets, the brighter the light looks, right? Because there's a distinction there that, that is really important. And we need to embrace that. Like, we need to embrace that moment, that moment of um, where Brian took us during prayer time, and like, where we're going, okay, this is, this is our moment, guys. Whether you believe it or not, whether you know it or not, what we're going to see, we're going to spend, like, the next three weeks in, in um, well, the next two weeks after this week, in, like, four verses in Romans, because I think it's so important for us to understand that, that there is a God who desperately loves you, but, and, and is in control of everything. Everything, and that includes when and where you live, like, and are born into. You weren't just, it didn't just so happen that you were born into this time, this place, and this location. So if you're here, you're here on purpose, for a purpose. 
And so we were born, oh, that's a really long-winded way, of, long-winded way of saying, rather than lament what's going on in the world, let's step in and embrace the fact that we have been born for such a time as this. Now here's the problem. Here's why, here's, as, as believers, and, and I, think it's, I think it's important, guys, I do believe that it is important for us as Christians, to, because, I, because the Word of God does, to acknowledge that we struggle. That we struggle to hold on to hope. Like if we just bebop along going, yeah, I'm always just doing great. I mean, for if, if you really are that person, man, praise the Lord. Don't change. Like honestly, don't, don't change just because Doug says that you should um, be sad sometimes. Like, but I'm saying don't fake it. Right? But I, I feel like, I mean, the, the Bible gives us permission to lament, to agonize, to groan. And if we just bebop through life going, everything is rainbows and unicorns in my life because I know Jesus and everybody else in our world, including our, fa- our church families, going, that's not my reality. What's wrong with me? Right? And the rea- reality is I'm not sure that's anybody's reality. And Paul has pretty much told us that like over and over and over again over the last few weeks in Romans 6 and 7. But we'll get there in a minute. Really long-winded introduction just to say here's, here's the reality of, of the answer to this question. Guys, the world and the, and the one that rules this world, Satan, is screaming to us to forget God. That's why it's so hard to hold on to hope. The distractions, the discouragement, the, all those things are a product of, think about how, I mean, ultimately what he came up to Adam and Eve with in the garden was, forget what God said, forget what, who God made you to be, forget who God is, and just worship you. Because he knew that in worshiping themselves, they were actually worshiping him. Because as my sister prayed, there are only two kingdoms. There is this broken, not yet fully, not yet redeemed, or not yet restored kingdom. And then there's this kingdom of God. There's only one king, Jesus, but there are two kingdoms. And what Satan wants us thinking about, what the world wants us is forget about God and just focus on what's going on down here and everything will be better. What, what the series in Romans that we're in, this righteousness revealed in the gospel of Romans, what Paul is trying to like wake the church up to. And remember, this was written by the apostle Paul in the, like the mid-50s AD. So this isn't even one of his first letters, but it is his greatest work. Many people consider this letter to be the greatest work in all of literature. Not just in the Bible, but also the greatest letter in the Bible and the chapter we're in, chapter 8, to be the most important chapter in all of God's word, if there could be such a thing. But, but how did we get, we've taken, we've taken like 20-something weeks just to get to chapter 8. I want to go back and remind you of where we started. So I said, be in Romans 1. Remember, Paul is telling this story of righteousness revealed, the gospel, through these five therefore statements. So in, in Romans 1, 24... So, so Paul starts where the Bible starts. Genesis, in the beginning, God. Paul starts with creation and how all of creation makes God evident. And then he says in verse 24, Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity and to dishonoring of their bodies and themselves because, this is what I'm saying, but forget God. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Now he moves on in chapter 2 and he says, okay, so here God has created us in his image. He's, he's evident throughout all creation. We have exchanged that obvious truth for a lie and the world has bought into it. And I had two for the first half of my life. And I'm going, and then he says, and yet what we do is when we do, when we do say to somebody, well, there is a God and he is holy and he judges people. We go, how dare he? How dare God judge? So Paul's like, I know you're going to say that. So in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, to make that argument. Because every one of you who, who judges, you're passing judgment on, what you, passing judgment on one another. Um, you condemn yourselves because you judge for the same things. He's like, you're all a bunch of judgmental people also. And then he goes on in chapter 3, in chapter, in chapter th- uh, the first half, from chapter 2 through the first half of chapter 3. And he's like, this is how we have all rejected the righteousness of God. And then he begins to turn the table about the middle of chapter 3. And he goes, now here's what God has done to fix the problem. And he starts talking about in chapter 4 about Abraham and the promise of the seed. That if you're in the, in the training center, we started in Genesis 1 last Tuesday. And the seed goes all the way back to Genesis 3.15. 
and it goes through Abraham. So he's talking in, in Abraham chapter 4, or in, in Romans chapter 4. And then, and then in chapter 5, here's our third therefore statement. He says, therefore, since you have been justified by faith, by this promise, by the fulfillment of the promise and your belief in it, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have, been, we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which, we, in which we stand, and we rejoice in the glory of God. And then he goes on, and, he, and, and this is where we've, and so in where we've been for quite a while now, is in this wrestle of this war that's going on between these two kingdoms. And he does it in chapter 6. And then in chapter 7, he makes it really personal and talks about his own struggle. And then he gets to chapter 8, verse 1, where John had us a couple weeks ago. And I, I went back into even last week. And he says, remember, the first word of Romans 8, 1 is really what? No. He's like, no. No condemnation. He's reminding him, he's saying, in the midst of all of this, in the midst of the fight, in the midst of the struggle, I'm going to go back to, to the therefore in chapter 5. I have peace with God, and because I have peace with God, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's Romans 8.1. And then he goes on in Romans 9, 10, and 11. He starts working out, like, here's how all this detail kind of happens in a sort of mysterious way. And that's where we're going to pick it up today. And then in Romans 12.1, 12, he's like, now, in light of all of this, in light of everything that's from, from the creation of the world and our rejection of, of, of the righteousness of God and then his imputation of the righteousness of God, which means he applies it to our lives, and then the reign of God's righteousness, which is what we looked at in Romans, um, the second half of 3 through 5. He's like, now in light of all of that, in light of all of that, how are you supposed to live? And that's what the rest of the letter will be about, which we will get to someday. But he starts in Romans 12.1. He says, Therefore, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercy of God, present your body a living and holy sacrifice, which is your spiritual service of worship. He's saying that is how you physically down here will worship like the, the person of the, the, the you, the spiritual you, who's already been transferred. That's your, your, it's to present your body, your physical body, as a sacrifice because that's your spiritual self working. Is ultimately what he's saying. And then he says, do not be, back to the first, the, the talking points question, the problem with hope in this world. Don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Right? And ultimately, that's the message that, that Paul is trying to like, wake us up to. Now he's been doing that, like I said, from chapter 1 through chapter 8. We are actually started, we finished off last week in, in verse 17. So turn to chapter 8. Romans 8, we finished off in, in Romans 8, 17. We're now actually starting um, a new section of Romans. So we've looked at things like um, the rejection of righteousness, the imputation of righteousness, the reign of righteousness. Now we're going to start looking at something that I'm calling the mystery of righteousness. And what I mean by mystery isn't that, like, oh, no, nobody can know anything about it. What I mean by mystery is there, there are parts of Romans from the second half, Romans 8, 18, through Romans 11, there are parts of it that are, that are not able to be fully known by our finite minds. The, the theology of Romans 1 through 8, 16 is relatively clear. It's clear that we have exchanged the truth of God for a lie. It's clear that the only way we have peace with God is through the cross. It's clear. Those things are far more clear. When we start getting into the things we're going to talk about starting today and then going on through the rest of chapter 8 and then 9, 10, and 11, there's a lot of it where we just look and we go, I don't know exactly how this works. So that's what I mean, but I trust in a God who's big enough to make it work. And that's what I mean by, ultimately by... Um, by, mis by the mystery of God. I do want to point out one thing that, that I meant to mention earlier. Um, I meant to mention it last week, and I forgot then too. But, but one of the things that, that, I, that, that all of this argument today is going to flow out of is, is so we're in Romans 8, Romans 8, 1. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. John made this quote. I wrote it down. Or I said this quote when he taught on that, when, on that passage two weeks ago. He said, he said, sulking in your condemnation, like self-condemnation, sitting around having a pity party, and, and here's why I wrote it down, because it just kicked me right in the cradle. Like, because this is me. I am a glass half empty, wah, 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 woe is me person. And he says, that is sinful pride. Soaking in your self-condemnation is pride. 
because somehow we think, because when I, like if I'm going, I'm not good enough, I failed again, I'm struck, or I'm projecting that onto somebody else, what I'm saying is the cross did not work. I have to do something. They have to do something. The world needs to do something. And that is pride at its heart. That is, that is forgetting the gospel. And so um, we do not want to do that. And the way we do as 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 renewed or as redeemed people, the way we do that is by trying to is by trying to fix our minds on what is true and right and lovely and pure and commendable. Philippians chapter four. And so today, what we're going to talk about is okay, but but the reality is, even though we have been transferred to this kingdom, we still live down here. How do we hold on to hope? So the question I'm asking today is, how do we hold on to hope in a world that's going to hell? And I mean literally. Like in a world that's racing to hell. As, as Brian mentioned, it is like, like t- time is running short. Right? The boat is sinking. Things are winding down in the sense of like, like creation is crumbling. And, and we need to hold on to hope and then share that hope with other people. And what the passage is going to show us today is that is here's how, here's how Paul is going to show us in, in these verses that, that um, my brother Mo read. He's going to show us that how we hold on to hope is that we know that this too shall pass. That we keep our renewed hearts fixed on home. Keep looking up. right? And the last thing is that we remember it is Christ Jesus who has a hold of us. So let's pick it up in our first point. So I'm in Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 18. And he says... And this has already been read a few times this morning. For I consider that the sufferings of this present age are not worthy of comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. So that comes out of, as as Sean led us in in our start of time in, in music, he led us into this idea. Coming out of last week's message about you are heirs to all things of God. Right, you're an heir to the very throne. You are a son or daughter of, the, of God. He's saying, so in light of that, the suffering that we go through now, it, one, here's what I love, again, about the Bible. This is why, like, bebopping through life going, I don't ever have problems as a Christian, just isn't real. The Bible says, like, like we need, the Bible acknowledges it and tells us to expect it. He's saying that the suffering of this present time, well, implied in that is What? That we're going to suffer, right? Yeah, that there is suffering and that we're going to have those problems. And so, so let's acknowledge that. And, and at some level, he's saying let's embrace that because compared to the worth of the glory that is to be revealed as heirs, like it, it's nothing. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. As I was exegeting this passage, the, the, the Greek there for eager longing, it was such a it was, like English is such a limiting language. I don't know Greek, but I mean, I took two years of it and it melted my brain. But 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 I don't know it. But it, but part of why God waited for Greek to be the predominant language was so that before He inspired the New Testament to be written by people like Paul, is because Greek has just way more options, <laughs> like to describe God. And so that eager longing, like we we think of eager longing, or some might say um, expectation, it actually brings to mind to the Greek person, it brings to mind a person like a child with their neck like stretched looking up at their parent and their arms up like this. Like that, like so when he says that the, all of creation waits with e- eager longing, it's like all of creation, including us, he's going to include us in that in a minute, he's like, we're all looking up at God going, come on, pick me up, pick me up, pick me up, like a little kid would do. And I thought, man, what a beautiful picture of what we're supposed to look like. Then it says, for the creation was subjected to fertility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Now, what is, what is he referring to? So in the, in, the, in the next verse, he says, for we know that the whole of creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. What is he referring to? What happened in Genesis chapter 3? He said, right, the fall. He's saying, at the rebellion... Sin polluted everything, not just Adam and Eve. All of creation began to wind down at that point. And it is grown, all of creation is groaning. Guys, you, when people say to us, so why, do, why are there hurricanes? Why are there earthquakes? Why, you, know what, you know what we say? We say Romans 8. We say that is creation groaning, like literally groaning. 
and we groan too. Guys, keep your, we're going to come back to Romans 8, obviously, but turn to the right of where we are to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians is just a couple books to the right of where we are, so you can go past 1 Corinthians into 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And I'm going to pick it up in verse 7. Look at what Paul says, and so this is the same writer, the Apostle Paul, he writes this. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. This, this treasure is the message of the gospel in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are, in other words, he's like, we, he picked random, ordinary vessels to pour his glory into. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body of the, the death of Jesus, so that in the life of Jesus we may also be, the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. Now turn to uh, for the, in the sake of time to look at verses seventeen and eighteen. For this momentary now, guys, remember this. If you have not underlined this in your Bible, it ought to be. If you're if you're struggling right now with with an ongoing struggle in your life, and I mean like like this is one that you got to grab. We, we all have those moments. If you're in one right now, this is a verse you got to grab a hold of. This momentary light affliction is producing in you an eternal weight of glory that is far beyond all comparison. For we fix our eyes not on the things that are seen, but on the things that are unseen. He said, "Why?" He's saying because all this is gonna burn. He's like, because the things that are seen are temporal. They're temporary. It's not going to last. We're, we know this too shall pass. Literally, this too shall pass. Whatever your this is, if you are in Christ, this too shall pass. But not only that. It will pass and in you in its present working. It isn't just, so, so I just got to push through it. I just got to get past it. It's, this is doing something in you right now. It is producing in you an eternal weight of glory. We, I say it, I'm going to keep saying it until we believe it. We do not get to, to heaven looking like Jesus without scars. So as we get the scars, as, as we've sang today, we celebrate those because they make us Enter into glory looking more Christ-like. And that's God's end game for your life. His end game for your life is to go to glory, ready to glorify him, and that's to look like Jesus. Now look at verses five, look at chapter 5. For we know that this tent, he's talking about our bodies, not a tent, like camping tent, this tent, is, is our earthly home. And it's just, if it's destroyed, he will build, or we will get a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens for in this now here's that groaning language again for in this tent we groan longing to put on a heavenly dwelling guys what he's talking and then he goes on in verse in um in verse um well in verse four for while we are still in this tent we groan being burdened and then he goes on to say but ultimately that all of that is because what what our Already redeemed self is waiting for is the rest of us to come along. And we know that when he restores and renews all things, that includes our bodies. Guys, if you believe, if you're a Christian, let's tell a little secret. If you're a Christian, if you are really, if you're really a follower of Christ, you believe that Christ rose from the dead. I just need to let you know that. Like you believe that's a historical fact, right? If you don't believe that, you're not really a Christian. If you believe that, you have, then, the reason that happened, the Bible tells us, is to prove to us that it's going to happen to you. Right? And so we have to hold on to that. Guys, we have to live our lives here otherworldly. Right? How do we hold on to hope in a world that's going to hell? We, we live going, this is not really our home. We live, guys, there is, people, you, you've heard this, maybe some of you have heard this phrase. Some people are so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. Forget you've ever heard that. I have never met, nor have I ever read about a person who was too heavenly minded. Honestly, I, I, I don't think that's possible. It is not possible to be a human here and be so heavenly minded you're no earthly good. We, we, need, we all need to be a whole lot more heavenly minded. Like if we would, the, this world would be so much better if we were looking at this world a whole lot more. So look at your next talking points question. It's the second one. It says, what are some arguments 
that unbelievers use against the biblical view of bad things happening in this world? And I know that's a poorly worded question. I couldn't think of a better way to say it. But, but when you say that you're a biblicist, that you believe in the Bible, you believe in the story of the Bible, you believe that, you believe that the Bible is true, what are some arguments that, like, as people look around, they go, this is a problem I see with how that can't be true? Adam. How can bad things happen to good people? That's a huge one, right? Because we all know people that we love and care about, and, they, and, they, and, they, and, and something horrific happened to them. There's a whole lot of really not solid theology about the statement, how can bad things happen to good people? I don't have time to go into it, but that is, an, that is, and we will actually go into it in a couple weeks, but Scott. Okay, good. So even behind, so Scott's saying even behind Adam's point of bad things happening to good people is this, here's the way you'll hear it said. If God is really this loving God, then why are there bad, why do, why do people suffer? Why is there hunger? Why is there, I mean, horrific things, right? Things that, that we would not wish on anybody, especially things that happen to children. And, and you're just like, oh my goodness, how could God allow this to happen? There are this is not an apologetics session, so there's, but there are really good arguments for why those things occur. But ultimately, what we, have to, what we have to rest in is a sovereign God who is working all things out. Right? And, and, and again, and that's where we'll pick, it up. we'll pick it up next week. But we also, guys, we also want to acknowledge that the Bible acknowledges it. Like, like part, of what, part of what made me realize that the Bible is true when I went from being an atheist to an agnostic to a baby believer was that the Bible didn't show. Because if, if, if people who say, well, this, the Bible's not true because it's just been changed over time, then what in the world do they leave all this ugly stuff in there for? Like if you were really trying to come up with a book that was just a lie to convince people of how to, like, to control people, you would get rid of all of the, like there's, some just real, there's stuff in here that makes God's people look really bad. Why would you leave that in here? You, I mean, the fact that it acknowledges that there are real points of tension in our existence is part of what makes it believable, right? It's not a fairy tale, it's reality. And so, guys, don't turn there, you're going to read about it in your daily readings this week, but a couple of, so in 1 Peter chapter 4, 1 Peter 4, 12, I think it's one of your daily readings in your bulletin, but he talks about, don't, guys, don't be surprised by the fiery trials that are overtaking you. As is like a lot of people are like, why, is it, why are bad things happening to good people? Don't be surprised by that. But as you partake in the suffering of Christ, keep on rejoicing. Then he says, how do you do that? Well, he tells us at the end of that chapter, he says, by committing your soul to a faithful creator. And then here's my favorite, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. 1 Peter 5.10. And you, after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all comfort... Who, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Guys, ultimately, that's the end game. The end game is that, God, that, that suffering is real, this too shall pass, and ultimately, we have to hold on to hope by going, this, all of this down here is preparing us for what's going on up there. right? And then, and then back to... Um, the, the talking points question, how do we help people see um, that we have an explanation for what's going on in the world? Like We, we have to acknowledge what the, that the Bible addresses it. And, and, and then what I would say is ask them, so how is, like, what do you believe about that? And how is that working for you? Like, Where is your hope in, in what you believe about your world? Because an evolutionist has no answer for why there's suffering in the world. None. Right? And there's no hope in that answer. Like in their lack of answer. We are the only people that have, and, I'm gonna, and, I, and, and I'll get to this hopefully at the end of the message today because he, he didn't know I was going to talk about this. We are the only people that have the life preserver. Right? This is it. Right? And I'll, and I'll come back to this in a few minutes. But, but okay, let's just keep going. I got I to gotta get back. I, I'm, I, looked at the, I looked at the clock. I'm like, oh my. Okay. So how do we hold on to hope in a world that's going to hell? One, by, knowing that, by, by, by understanding that this, all of this is going to pass. And then the second point is by keeping your renewed heart fixed on home. So back in Romans, oh man, how did that take so long? I don't know how that happens. But um, in back in Romans, so I'm back in Romans verses, verse 23, Romans 8, 23. He says, and not, only, and not only the creation, 
So the creation was groaning. But we ourselves, we, ha- we are the first fruits of the Spirit, have the first fruits of the Spirit. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. So it's what, what I talked about in the Second Corinthians passage, just like for the rest of our body to come along, the physical part of ourselves to come along with the spiritually renewed part of ourselves. For this hope, we, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for, we, for who hopes in what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for, we wait for it patiently. One of your daily readings this week is going to be 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It's a, it's a part of the passage that um, many of us have lost loved ones in the last year or two. Um, it's one that I go to all the time. It talks about how, hey, I want you to understand what happens to people who die, who suffer and die here on this planet. Because I, w- I don't want you to grieve as those who have no hope. You're going to read about that this week. Where I want to take you right now, is I'm, and I'm going to take the time to do it. I want to go to Ephesians chapter 1. Go to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians, so just to give you an idea, like Ephesians was written by Paul about um, somewhere around five to seven years after he writes Romans. He does in three chapters what it takes him 11 chapters to do in Romans. So he, it's like a Cliff Notes version of the book of Romans. So in Romans chapter 1, he starts out with this in, in verse 3. He says, or sorry, in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God of our Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So that's his way of like Romans 5-ing us, right? And then he says, um, he pre, in verse 5, he predestined us as adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. That's what we're going to start looking at in the rest of Romans 8 next week and, and beyond. To the praise of his glorious grace with all that is, he's blessed us with in the beloved. Ultimately, it's his way of starting this letter in saying what he did in Romans. There is a God and he is in complete control. And we have to rest in the fact that he is in complete control. And then, and that's what we'll be spending some time on in the next couple of weeks. And then he goes on to say in verse 7, In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. He, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery, the mystery, there's that word, remember we're talking about like, we're talking about the mystery of righteousness, the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which is set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, now here's, here, look at this, to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth, there's the two kingdoms right there, He's saying God's plan, the mystery of God's plan, is that by his sovereign hand, he has control of all of it. He has transferred us into this kingdom, and yet we still live down here. But his plan is ultimately, in a mystery, is to bring us back together and unite us in in a way that we can't even fully comprehend. And we're going to come together. Now look at, I'm I'm just, in the interest of time, I'm skipping down to verse 13. He says, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is a guarantee of your inheritance. Guys, you remember where we heard that? The whole idea of being an heir in Romans 8, 16, 17? He's saying, guys, that's our inheritance. There it is again. Now, Now, I love this. Now, look at this beautiful prayer. Guys, this is... This is how we keep our renewed mind fixed on heaven, on that other kingdom. For this reason, because I have heard, I'm in verse 15. This is Paul's prayer for us. He says, for this reason, I, because I have heard of your faith in our Lord Jesus Christ and love for all the saints, I do not cease giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, will give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope with which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the work of his great might. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and dominion and above every name that, that is named, not, and not only this, but also in, not only in this age, but in the age to come. 
And he put all things under his feet and gave him head over all things, including the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills all and is all. Guys, he is, Paul is taking in this one little prayer for us, and he's saying, guys, the only way we can live down here is by keeping our eyes fixed on what's up there. Right? And, 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 and the only way that works is if we really believe in a God powerful enough to raise Christ from the dead as proof that he is going to raise us true. And guys, if we would just hold on to this beautiful truth more as, as people of God, like the, just the truth I just read in verses 15 through 23, if we would just let our minds like soak in that more, we would, we would speak of Christ more. We would share the gospel more. We would invite people into the family of God more. Because we would realize that this world, like this is as close to heaven as you're going to be all week. I, I, I get that that's hard to believe. It's just the reality. And if we really believed that this, this picture is a taste of heaven, then we would invite people into that taste more and more. Look at your last talking points question. So how so in light of all that how can you help how can you help others find hope the hope that you have in Christ so what are some obstacles that get in our way so there's four little sub questions there what are some obstacles that get in the way what are some obstacles that get in your way of helping other people find their hope in Christ fear fear of rejection good we assume they already know Guys, I'm here to tell you, I'm t- I don't know if, you, if many of you know this, but I'm teaching some Bible classes at Arizona Christian right now. It may have the word Christian in its name. Um, I'm teaching 100 and something Bible kids based freshman Bible. Most of them have no idea. Most of them have no idea where the books of the Bible are. Like they, like so, so like I'm, and that's why I'm teaching there. If I thought they were all believers, I wouldn't be there. I'm there because those kids need Jesus. Right? And so... I'm just here to tell you that these are kids that are at a Christian school and they haven't heard the gospel. So we don't want to assume people believe it. Good. Or no, I've heard, even heard it. Go ahead. Being saved in the right kingdom but living for the wrong kingdom. The distractions, the things that we... So, and that kind of leads to the... So how can we remove those things? Well, like for fear, we've just got to kind of get over that and go, it's not about us. That's a, that's a form of pride, right? Like, like, like um, Brian mentioned, if, if they reject the life jacket, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting the life jacket. They're rejecting Christ. We've got to get over that. Good. Um, other distract, like, like, what, like how much of our time, talent, treasure is actually being spent on this kingdom stuff at all? How much of it is consumed down here? Good. What else? Jolene. Not, not realizing the power that we hold when we have the mind of Christ. Get back to the Ephesians passage, right? When, when Paul says, he says, and that you might, that, that you, well, I'm looking to see, um, that in verse 19, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us, right? Like if we would just live that, it's crazy, but we just, but we just don't, right? It's just, the, it's sort of the way we are, but guys, Look at um, that. That'll bring us to our last point. So I'm gonna just kind of start to land this plane right now. So what we're looking at today is how do we hold on to this hope we have in Christ and then thereby share it in a world that's racing towards hell, right? Well, one is we have to we have to remember that this world is not what it's about. We we were made for something bigger, for something better, for something eternal, right? The other thing is we have to keep our, our renewed mind fixed on home. And the last thing is we have to remember that it is Christ who holds on to you. Right now, look at now look at back in Romans eight. Look at Romans eight. The last couple of verses we're going to look at today: Romans eight twenty six and twenty seven. Likewise, the Spirit helps in our weaknesses. So now, so now you're sort of transitioning to this idea of, of let, let me let me tell you what the Holy Spirit is doing for you. For we do not know what we are to pray as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Guys, when he says the Spirit, whose Spirit is he talking about? The Holy Spirit. Sometimes it's called the Spirit of Christ. It's where we get this idea of that if you're in Christ, Christ is in you. 
It's the, it's the Holy Spirit that is in you. That, that, and he's saying that ultimately what, what Paul is trying to tell us here is he's saying that because you are in Christ and the Holy Spirit is in you, you, you now have another intercessor. So in Hebrews chapter 11, it talks about how um, that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the confident expectation of things not seen. And, and then he goes on to list, here's all the people that believed that, that believed in the promises of God. And then do you remember in Hebrews chapter 12, he says, now how do we live that way? He's like, since all of these great saints, these great cloud of witnesses surround us, how do we as Christians now live that way? By fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author, the initiator, and the finisher of our faith. So he's saying, that's one of our intercessors. We have an intercessor in heaven who is seated at the right hand of God, who makes intercession on our behalf all the time. As the, as the father of lives comes and tries to whisper lies about us, Jesus is constantly going, I paid for that, I paid for that, I paid for that, what have you got? Now here's what Paul's telling us here. We have another intercessor down here, because Jesus is in this kingdom. His spirit, he sent, John 14 and John 16, he sent that to live down here. We have this intercessor here. This intercessor is helping us when we don't know what to pray. Now some people will take this, and, and I don't have time to go into it, especially now, but some people will take this and, and see that, that Paul is talking about a personal prayer language. This is not a message about the gift of tongues. We are not a cessationist church. We do believe in the, in the biblical spiritual gift of tongues. I just don't think that this passage is talking about a personal prayer language. And here's why. One, because tongues almost always in, Bi in the Bible talks about having some interpretation possible. There's nothing here about interpreting. Two, I don't see, um, this, is, this is saying, this is a promise. This intercession, this interceding on our behalf is for all believers. And the gift of tongues is mentioned as a gift for some believers in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. So I, like, I don't think that that's what Paul's talking about. And then lastly, the words he uses in verses 26 and 27 are the same words he used to talk about creation. All creation groans and the Holy Spirit groans for us. With, as we groan with, what does he say? So he says, um, groaning's too deep for words, the end of chapter 26. So unless we believe that creation is somehow speaking in a personal prayer language, which I guess you could, right? I don't see that connection. I just wanted to make sure that I understand the elephant in the room there. I'm not trying to skip it. I'm just saying that's not what this message is about. We have taught on the spiritual gifts before. What I see this as being is, Praise Jesus that we have a Holy Spirit as an intercessor here in this kingdom. Right? Because here's the reality, guys. We are all broken. Like we, we all, so, so there are, because we're all still part of this broken, there are times and places where we have no idea what the will of God is for our lives. Because Paul tells us why the Holy Spirit intercedes for us in verse 27. He's saying, you don't know what to pray for. So the Holy Spirit, who knows the will of God, is actually praying for you. Now, that only helps you if you know what it is he's actually praying. Because he's the one that knows the will of God. Why? Because he is God. So, the, so, the, so, so I, I know our brains are just kind of boom, and I get it. And it's been long, and, we're, and we really are about done here. But you got to understand, what Paul is trying to explain to us is... We are a people of two kingdoms. Jesus has risen and is seated at the right hand. I read it in, in the Revelation passage that I started with, Revelation 5. He is the one who takes the deed of, the, of, the, of um, the ownership of the earth out of the hand of the Father. And he says, I have bought this with my blood. Right? This whole thing is mine. And then he sends his spirit here so that we have his intercession in this kingdom. He, guys, the Holy Spirit, this is the beautiful part about the whole thing. Don't, don't lose sight of this. The, the, the Holy Spirit does, does not stand off at the distance and, and like armchair quarterback. He steps in. Like he presses in to every moment that we're in when we're walking in the Spirit. And he rolls up his sleeves and he gets busy about your work, about your life, about your direction. You will hear a word behind you saying, this is the way in it. But we have to tune our ears to his voice. Because we have to 
open the spiritual eyes of our heart to what he's trying to tell us. Because he wants, guys, he wants to show us. Now you sit here and you're going, okay, but, but Doug, how, how come I'm not hearing it? How come I'm not seeing it? Well, there's only two ways. There's only two, two things. One is you're not saved. You cannot hear this kind of intercession from the Holy Spirit if you're not really a follower of Christ. Because Christ, if you're, you have to be in Christ for Christ to be in you. And Christ has to be in you for you to be in Christ. That's part of it. The other thing is, even if you are, you're like, yeah, but Doug, I'm in Christ, and it's been a while since I've heard, like, the Holy Spirit, like, since I really felt like I was walking in the Spirit. There's this thing in the Bible called grieving the Holy Spirit. I, it's a picture I always think of as, like, is like choking out his ability to flow through us. And the things that do that to us are things like rebellious sin, unconfessed sin, distractions of this world, walking in the flesh. What we are doing there is we are grieving the Holy Spirit. And what Paul is telling us is sometimes, sometimes those are the places we get when we have nothing else. We don't even know what else to say. And we're just like, Lord, help. Lord, just help me. Because I don't know what else to do. And it's because we have spent so little time living in the power of the Spirit and so much time living in the power of our own flesh that we are, we are now way too focused on this kingdom. Right? The Holy Spirit is this connection between the two. And so as the music team comes up, I'm going to turn to a passage. And we're, as our time of response, we're not doing communion like we normally do. You were given a card, um, the little three-by-five cards. And, and I want to encourage us to do a little housekeeping with the Holy Spirit today. And what I mean by that is... Is that, and, and, and I loved, I almost started laughing as Brian was sharing his story at the beginning of our prayer time because Brian did not know like what, what I, what, how I was going to end the message today because I didn't know how I was going to end the message today until this morning. But I have written down in my Bible, here's, here's, what, here's what it looks like to grieve the Holy Spirit. And we have, both, we have both kind of people in this room right now. And we're all this kind of people at different points in our lives. One, you are not a follower of Christ. You are that, that young man who, who said, I'm not interested in salvation. And you are literally, it's, what I've written down in my Bible, what I've written down before Brian did any of this was, you are like the man who is drowning. And someone is trying to throw you a life preserver and you're knocking it out of the way going, I don't need that, save me. All I can do, and we're going to stop here in just a minute, we're going to pray for this, is pray that the Holy Spirit would open your eyes. But here's the other thing, guys. As followers of Christ, we can slap the Father's hands away also. Like, we can, like when he's like, hey, you're kind of starting to drown in this moment. Like, you're starting to drown in this area. You're starting to drown, and you're, you're just pursuing the wrong things, or you're getting kind of sideways, and, and we can just start slapping him. It's, it's, like, it's like the picture, the, picture I, the other picture I had in my head this morning was, it's, it's like Jesus is up in this kingdom, Pull, like lowering the rope of the Holy Spirit down to us, and we're constantly knocking, like we're, we're clinging to the side of the cliff. If you've ever been on one of Brian's adventures, you know this is one of his analogies too, right? Like you're clinging to the side of the cliff going, I'm, I'm going to die. Like I'm serious, this is it. Like I'm going to die. And, and Jesus is like, hey man, I got you brother. Like I, I've got a hold of you. And we're and like I, I've I've done everything I need to do to grab a hold of you and pick you back up, but you keep slapping my hand away. Like why are you? It'd be like Peter when he's like, "Lord, help me!" And Peter's like, "And Peter's like, get off me, get away from me." That wasn't what Peter. What did Peter do? He's like, "Lord, save me!" Right? Like like that's the only that's the only response that the Holy Spirit can work with. So whether it's for the first time. Or for the umpteenth time, because we're just that obstinate, and we all are at times. Because I'm asking you to, to do some soul work as I read Psalm 32. And write down, if, if there is stuff in your life that, that you know, like it, this is just a sin that I know is grieving the Holy Spirit. Write it down, put it on the cross during the song of, during the song of response. But, but what, if it's not, what if it's not that? Because there are things where you're just like, like I'm just in a point, I'm in a... I'm in a tight spot right now and I don't know whether to go to the right or the left. I don't even know how to pray for whether I'm supposed to go to the right or the left. Write down a word. 
ask the Holy Spirit right now to give you a word. Write it down. That might, that might just help you. It might just be job, school, relationship. I don't know. And put it on the wall. And then continue to pray about that. I'm going to read Psalm 32. The music team's going to play a song. You have this time to just sit and ruminate. Psalm 32 is a psalm of David that he writes after he sins with Bathsheba. And he knows that the anointing of the Spirit has been affected by his sin. And so he says... Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Father, I want to pray right now. I want to pray in the name of Jesus for those who do already know you, but we feel like we're, we can hide, we're hiding things from you. There's stuff that we're like, man, if anybody in this room knew about this, or, or, or maybe we've convinced ourselves that, that you don't know about this. And the problem with it is not only is it not possible for us to hide things from you, but in the hiding, in the lack of transparency, we are diminishing the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The ability for the Holy Spirit to intercede on our behalf is diminished because we're trying to hide from him. We're slapping his hand away. Lord, help us to remember that, that ultimately the cross proves that you're the one that grabs a hold of us. And help us to just cling to you. Willingly cling to you. In Jesus' name. Then he says, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through all my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon, my, upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of the summer. So Father, I want to come to you. I want to come to you for the dry bones in this room or at the hearing of my voice right now. Lord, the, as we saw in Ezekiel a few weeks ago, there's just this image of dead people. And it is your word spoken over them and your spirit breathed into them that brings the dead to life. We live in a dry and weary land where there is no rest. We live in a world full of icebergs, full of storms. The only hope we have is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet, that's way more hope than we actually even need if we would just receive it. Last couple verses that I'll read. I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord. And you forgave my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to God at a time when he may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach them. Father, I want to pray right now that as we take this time to respond to you and end our time of um, just worshiping you this morning here in this place, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would reveal to us the prayers in, in groanings too deep for words, even, that you might have us respond to you, that you might have us write down what it is you're trying to reveal to our souls, what it is we're, we're hiding from, what it is that we are not trusting you in. Whatever those things are, Lord, I want to pray that you would just use these moments. Your word says that the eyes of the Lord search to and fro throughout the whole earth, that you might show yourself strong in the hearts of those who are completely yours. 
So Lord, let us give our junk to you as David tells us in this psalm and, and let us embrace the beauty of grace. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. So Father, I thank you for that beautiful truth. I thank you that we need, we need hide nothing from you because you are the place we can hide. Lord, let us embrace the beauty of your grace in Jesus' name. Amen.